0: On the one hand, we're imprisoned, but we're imprisoned by the powers of our, our own mind. but we don't uh, so many people don't even know they're imprisoned. they think they're free. And so part of freeing them is first giving them the realization that they're actually imprisoned. but the next <laughs> yeah. but the next part is is exactly what you were saying. is like imagine being in, imprisoned. And the gates aren't even locked and you can just walk out, but you've been so conditioned to, uh, you know, like this learned helplessness or powerlessness, or just to assume this is like the normal state of affair and we can't change anything that we've become so accustomed to our imprisonment that we're colluding with it. And we're actually, you know, we're investing the bars of the prison with all this power over us when they're, they're not even there exactly like you were saying, they're an illusion.
1: Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Chek. Today's guest is a pioneer in the field of spiritual emergence, Paul Levy.
2: Hi, everybody. Every now and then I come across a mind-bending, heart-opening book that is so powerful that even one sentence can leave me in deep contemplative meditation for days on end. Paul Levy's recent book, The Quantum Revelation, a Radical Synthesis of Science and Spirituality, is just that kind of book. If you've ever read Finite and Infinite Games by James Carse or listened to my amazing podcast with him, you'll know exactly what I mean about the quantum revelation. Paul Levy's books include The Quantum Revelation, A Radical Synthesis of Science and Spirituality, Dispelling Wetiko, Breaking the Curse of Evil, *Awakened by Darkness, When Evil Becomes Your Father, and The Madness of George W. Bush, a Reflection on Our Collective Psychosis. In this excellent interview dialogue with Paul Levy, Paul shares his potent biography and the intense experience of a kundalini rising that resulted in him being locked up in a psych ward many times and ultimately gave him the breakthroughs that allowed him to have a deep, palpable wisdom with regard to the deep truths of life, consciousness, the nature of the ego, Evil, mind viruses, and much more. This podcast is a real exploration of the state of the human mind, the dangers of belief systems, and how our society is not structured such that it supports mystical openings nor mystical awareness, but is structured perfectly to constantly keep our conscious and unconscious engagements with the dark forces alive and well. Paul and I dialogue about these issues and what it takes to find the light and keep it in life. You are about to find out what it means to be a living example of Tarot Zero, the archetype of the fool, which is the archetype of the free man, and how living through a series of awakenings can indeed make you very valuable as a contributor to humanity. This is one of my favorite interviews to this date. Enjoy the deep wisdom of Paul Levy, truly one of the most enlightened spiritual guides and authors of our day. Hi, everybody. Do you guys want to know one of my secret weapons that helps me avoid being sick or feeling run down? It's Organifi Immunity. Organifi Immunity is a super high quality certified organic drink mix that provides daily immune support and supports overall immunity. Organifi Immunity contains whole food vitamins C and D, whole food zinc, mushroom beta glycans, and provides only natural sweetness. Not only will you support your immune system, but you'll also get on-the-go superfoods in a delicious orange blend that is great for you and your kids and everyone will love it. My family and I love it and it's easy as tearing off the top of the package and mixing it with high-quality drinking water and you can rest a little easier knowing that you're enhancing your immune system, which is probably a good idea now that so many people are spending so much time indoors breathing indoor air and lacking sun exposure. Why not enjoy a little immune insurance while getting certified organic nutrients, superfoods, and great taste that's quick easy, and effective. To get your Organifi immunity and shop their amazing product line with your Living 4D discount, go to organifi.com and save 20% on any and all of their products using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. That's check 20 during checkout. Enjoy Organifi. Paleo Valley makes some incredible superfood bars that are a lot different than what most people think of as a superfood bar. I've got Autumn Smith, the creator of their superfood bars, right here to tell you about them. Autumn, what is so unique about your awesome superfood bars?
3: Well, our superfood bars are unique because not only do they not contain refined sugar or GMOs or any of the freaky additives that you'll find in most bars or gluten or anything, but they're just whole foods. They're low in sugar. They're made with superfoods like ginger and broccoli and acerola cherry and collagen from grass-fed and finished animals, which we all know is like a fountain of youth. And so the best part about them though is probably the flavor. They come in chocolate and apple cinnamon, and we have so many more delicious flavors to come. And they're easy to put in your bag to feed for you with your kids. And I hope you love them all as much as I do. All you have to do to get access is go to paleovalley.com and you can use the code check 15 that's lowercase C-H-E-K 15, and you can get 15% off and I hope you love them.
2: That's awesome and just so you know that's P-A-L-E-O valley.com and I know you're going to love Autumn Superfood Bars. Hi everybody, you know I love Bioptimizer's products and one of the products that I use every single day is Leaky Gut Guardian which is designed to repair leaky gut syndrome which almost everybody has today and it's the basis of what we now call metabolic syndrome And what most people don't realize is if you can't digest the food that you're eating and your small intestine is leaking, then undigested food particles get into your bloodstream. They go right through the portal vein to the liver and the liver has no mechanism for breaking large food molecules down. So your immune system comes after it and attacks it. I brought Wade Lightheart here, co-founder of Bioptimizers, because I really wanted to know how does Leaky Gut Guardian actually work to close the gut up and seal it? Wade,
0: how does it do it? There's three areas that it deals with. Number one, it provides immunoglobulins made from eggs, the probiotic strains that are shown to repair the mucoid lining, as well as the prebiotics that allow them to take hold and operate inside your digestive canal. We combined all those three in a very tasty formula so that you can take it every day on an empty stomach, and it's been proven to work.
2: Wade, I love that. I know it works because I use it, and everybody I've ever given it to is amazed by it. What's the discount for Living 4D listeners, and where can they get it?
0: Well, if they go to www.leakygutguardian.com slash living4d and put in living4d, at any point, they will receive a 10% discount on all their products with our 100% money back guarantee.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check Today, I have a guest that I am very excited to share with you. I've been waiting to have this opportunity, and he was gracious enough to respond and agree, and that is Paul Levy. Paul Levy is a union analyst. He's written several excellent books. And I've just recently uh, finished listening to his book, The Quantum Revelation A Radical Synthesis of Science and Spirituality on Audible. And it absolutely hit my top 10 list. And for those of you listening, you know that is a long list of books I've studied. And I would say that's one of the best books I've ever read. Paul, thank you so much for all your books. I first learned of you, uh, I came across your book Dispelling uh, Dispelling Wetiko, Breaking the Curse of Evil, and uh, it just so happened at that time I was developing a new course and was doing research on the Imago Dei archetype, and I was listening to you, and I thought, I bet you this guy can give me a hand, and you were so gracious to help me out, so I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for your great books. For those of you listening, he's also written Industrial Organized Psychology, Understanding the Workplace. No, no, no. That's not me. That's
0: not oh. my book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's okay, some other.
2: Okay. I, I didn't know that. You know, I was searching right. I was searching for you. I'll, I'll exclude that one. I right. thought it was a bit of a, I, I thought, geez, that's a long ways from what he normally writes about.
0: And can I also say, I'm not a Jungian analyst. So many oh. people describe me that way. I never, I'm not, I don't have any degree in that at all. And yet I have Jungian analysts who who are clients of mine, but um, I'm just somebody who studies Jung a lot, you know, and I I quote him a lot. And because of that, people think I'm an analyst, but I'm not.
2: You know, I thought you were because I thought I read somewhere somebody else referring to you as a Jungian analyst. That's exactly
0: it. I'm I'm in books where people will introduce my work and and all, you know, characterize me as a Jungian analyst. And I'm just horrified because, you know, I'm not.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not a terrible thing to be labeled as. I'm, uh, I am I can think of worse things to be
0: called. Well, right. My only fear is that my Jungian Analyst friends are going to see that and think I'm putting myself off as a Jungian Analyst, which I'm, yeah. I never do. Yeah.
2: Now, did you write Awakened by Darkness?
0: Yeah, I wrote Awakened by Darkness. That's my personal memoir. Yeah.
2: And how about The Madness of George W. Bush?
0: That I wrote too, definitely. Yep. Okay. That so That I wrote to keep my- to keep myself sane during the, <laughs> the, Bush, the Bush presidency.
2: It's only gotten worse since then.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I know.
2: <laughs> so, okay. So your books are The Quantum Revelation, A Radical Synthesis, synthesis of Science and Spirituality, Dispelling with Tico, Breaking the Curse of Evil, Awakened by Darkness When Evil Becomes Your Father, and The Madness of George W. Bush, A Reflection of Our Collective Psychosis. You know, I must say- you know now that you've informed me that you're not a jungian analyst i got to say my friend you have one of the deepest minds i have thousands of books i literally have a, a very comprehensive library i've been collecting for 37 years of my career and when i read and i've been reading and researching quantum Revo- uh, revolution revelation and i listened to it and took piles of notes and it was the, the last book that did this to me, have you, have you ever heard of James Carse at all?
0: Uh, no, I don't think so. No.
2: well you you'd probably absolutely love my interview with him and also his book Finite and Infinite Games. but the the thought that kept coming to me as I was going through your recent book was, you know, this is as deep as James Carse. I mean, there' places in your book where one sentence would put me into a deep meditation for days on end. <laughs> I'd literally be going into a dream state, and I'm like, you know, now. So my question is, what on earth got you to a place where you can take these very comprehensive concepts? I mean, union is depth is not easy for most people to digest, like Steiner. Mm-hmm. But you do an amazing job of unraveling this stuff. So I'm just curious, what? How did you become Paul Levy? <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a great question, my God. And the answer is incre- incredible suffering. I, um, you know, I went through this unbelievable psychological trauma. So I'm 64, when I was in my early 20s. Um, and, you know, and actually, I, I wrote a book about it, that's my memoir. And it so so I went from being a highly functioning person, to not even being able to live my life whatsoever the suffering was so overwhelming and i just went you know really inside of my mind to to you know just assuming the position of the witness of watching what was happening and by doing that really intensely for a couple of years i had this life transforming spiritual awakening that almost killed me in the early stages of which within 24 hours i got thrown in a mental hospital and and i the next couple of years, I had this incredible propensity to get myself thrown in mental hospital because I was just a free agent who was having the realization of the dreamlike nature. And I was so ecstatic and so excited and so wanting to share it with people that it, you know, like I said, it got me in trouble. People locked me up and pathologized me and told me I was mentally ill. And I knew I was having an awakening. So to answer your question, I, that, cultivated this enormous curiosity in what was going on inside of me. And because of that, I found Jung and Steiner and all these, any spiritual tradition or thinker or philosopher that was plugged into what I was experiencing. And that helped me. The more I would study that stuff, the more it would help me to contextualize what I was experiencing and so then, you know, at a certain point, I began to write about it. But it wasn't just as academic or a scholar, but it was coming out of my own experience. So I think that might be how calm in my books, there's a certain transmission that a lot of people feel happens, because it's coming from my own experience, really.
2: Yeah, it's really beautiful. You've just uh, described the uh, you know, from my perspective, just hearing what you've just said, I would say that you were aligned with the archetype of the fool in tarot. Yeah,
0: well, that you you could say that. And, um, you know, I've written extensively about that, the fool, the trickster, that's related to Watiko, the mind virus that I've written, that I wrote a book about. And I have two, you know, other books coming out in the next couple of years on Watiko. Watiko really is totally related to the archetype of the trickster and you know that is the fool and um but the thing for me it's taken a number of years and i'm still a work in progress to integrate that deeper process so that you know the whole idea is okay if somebody has this 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 realization and and i'm not claiming in any way to be an enlightened person i mean that that's just a joke but the idea being is that yeah, I have a certain understanding based on my own experience, and and that's fine and dandy. But then, how do you communicate that to other people? Because when you have this realization, by its nature, you just want to share about it. And um, so, I've really um, for for four decades been really contemplating. Okay, how do I actually transmit what I'm realizing? You know, and I'm obviously not the only person having this realization. A lot of us are. But so my process and the question I've been asking myself is, how do I actually communicate this in a creative way that's going to actually get across to people? And and if there's one more thing about that, like I, I just wrote an article, I haven't even posted it yet. And I talk about that it makes no sense to preach the light to people whose eyes can't see it's a much better strategy to teach people the art of seeing but then of course the question is well how do you do that and what does that look like and that but sometimes it's really important to just ask the right questions and that feels like like a right question
2: yeah you what you're reminding me of from my studies of ken wilber which have been quite extensive is that he suggests that you can't actually take somebody more than one structure stage up from where they're at because I just lose complete contact with you so i think a lot of people you know i've had countless of what people refer to as enlightening enlightenment experiences and things like you're describing in my own life which began very early as a child with some very profound out-of-body experiences which later i realized i was a remote viewer and an astral traveler and mm-hmm. and so these things are quite normal to me, but um, I think one of the real challenges today is is that we have so many people that would be classified in Ken Wilber's model at the traditional stage of conscious development, but it's so natural for people like us that we would say are integral in our thinking to want to speak that way. But as Ken Wilber says, you you can put all the science and all the rationale in front of people at that traditional stage and they won't look at it because they're too caught in their belief systems they're not willing to see anything that contradicts their programming and i i think that's one of the real challenges that we all face especially right now in the world where it feels to me like we have to all get together those of us that understand some of the things that we're dialoguing on here and that you talk about in your book and and find ways to help inspire people up the latter from the traditional to the modern to the postmodern to the integral stage of development, because it seems to me like, you know, we don't have a lot of time before we kind of exhaust the resources or have a civil war or something nasty.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and what you're describing, you know, about people being fixed in their viewpoint, I mean, that's a symptom of the mind virus, of, of what Tico. Um, in the sense that one, you see, I, I, I just, um, in my work, I've really gotten to what I feel is the really source, the, the, the key, um, of all the converging crises in our world. And, you know, yeah, we can, you know, create a new law or legislation or vote in a new politician, all of that, that's palliative care. That's just very superficial. I mean, it could really help in some way but it's not getting to the root of the problem. No. And, and I, in my work, I've really tried to diagnose what is the root. And, and the, the best way I can articulate it is that by our very nature, we are creative beings and we are, are expressing our creativity 24-7. And in every moment, we're actually creating our experience. We're creating Absolutely. our experience of ourselves and we're creating our experience of, of the world. And, um, but to the extent we're not awake to the superhero power that we all possess every moment, this creative spirit that's intrinsic to our nature, to the extent we're not conscious of that, that incredible creative power gets turned against us in a way individually that it would be hurting us, but collectively, writ large on the world stage is killing us. And we're in a process, we're collectively enacting suicide and we're destroying the the biosphere, the life support system of the planet. That's what I'm pointing at, that that's an expression that we as a species are not in touch with our creative nature. And like I'm saying, to the extent we're not in touch with it, it literally gets unconsciously turned against us in a way that's killing us. So my whole body of work, and I can say a lot more about this because it's really it's it's the key thing to understand you know and not just intellectually but to actually experientially unlock that creative spirit that is who we are that unless we do that we're fated to continue to destroy ourselves
2: yes You know, Steiner describes in his teachings, I have about 180 books by Steiner and Steiner initiates that I've been studying for about 25 years. In one of Steiner's books called At Home in the Universe, I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Not really. Yeah, it's a good one. It's basically, he describes the whole process of what happens when you die um, based on his own model. And uh, one of the things Steiner describes which is relevant to your statements here he says that we're all here as souls in this three-dimensional material plane because matter ties spirit and consciousness up so much that anybody that has destructive thoughts tendencies or behaviors has to work through matter and it allows all of us a chance to respond before too much destruction happens, and he gives the example, I think, if I remember right, of Hitler. He said it took, you know, it, it would take a lot of time and energy to overthrow the world because of the material reality of it, which gives us an opportunity to react. And um, it probably wasn't Steiner talking to Hitler because he was long before gone, but there was an expert in the end of the book that gave an overview of the book. So he may have been the one that I'm drawing on here because it's been about mm-hmm. 15 years since I read the book. But but Steiner describes how when we move up to higher dimensions, such as the astral plane, we create as quickly as, he, as we think. And he says right. that when we die, we, if we're not spiritually evolved, he, his words are – You will find yourself bouncing around the universe at the speed of thought, and that will continue until you realize it's you doing the thinking. And so I really think that the earth is a schoolyard for developing souls, and we're all tied up in this material realm specifically because people have this tendency to orient themselves toward the negative and create destruction quite often before they come to the awareness that love is the better path and and working to create harmony together is the higher path. So I really feel that that's one of the things that's going on but you know you look at the history records and you see we've kind of just got this tendency to constantly let emperors and kings control us and be passive and and not well if i could just say
0: if i could just say a couple things about what you're saying paul because it's so right on like the way i would i would describe um what you just said is so it's clear we're destroying ourselves i mean that there's no debate then the question arises well how come we're doing that and i would i would pose the answer as well we're doing that because we don't know how not to do it So we're actually destroying ourselves as a way to learn how not to destroy ourselves, which we clearly haven't learned, or we wouldn't be destroying ourselves. Though the point is, encoded in the pathology, in the destruction, is its own medicine. And it all depends if we recognize it, if we get the lesson that's embedded in the pathology. Now, the other thing you said about the kings and the emperors, when you see this, because I'm, you know, the experience that I began having in 1981, I was realizing, oh, this is a collectively shared, it's a dream, not metaphorically like a dream. It's metaphorically like a dream too, but it's literally a collectively shared dream. That's what I was realizing. There was no metaphor involved. And and if you look at what's happening in the world as if it's a dream, which is, you know, just like when you have a dream at night and you contemplate it with symbolic awareness, and try to mm-hmm. understand, well, what is the dream showing me? Well, I would say that thing you were pointing at that throughout history, kings and emperors and dictators, they've gladly taken our disassociated authority. So to the extent you know that we're if we're not in touch with our own authority, then the state, the power of the state is more than happy to, to use our unconscious authority against us. And that's when you understand that, you realize, oh, wow. So the solution is for more and more of us. And of course, it starts with the individual to actually own and to connect consciously through the heart of compassion with our own incredible authority. And that's the creative spirit that I'm talking about. And to the extent we don't do that in a dream, if I'm not connected with my own authorship and my own authority, there are going to be characters in the dream that are going to be, be picking that up and, and using it against me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, there's a couple things that come to me as you're talking there. Have you studied uh, Arnold Mandel at all?
0: Oh, he's one of my mentors. I, I, have oh, known him for 30 years. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I've studied all of his books and, and uh, one of my longest running clients of 10 years is, actually in his pr- process psychology training right now and mm-hmm. uh I really love Mendels teachings but what what came up to me as you were talking is mendel says it's important to realize there's a lot of information in chaos but you have to be present with it you can't run from it and i think right now what we're going through is people are sort of just burying their heads in the sand and they're not really Looking at the chaos and asking the question, what's actually going on here? Not what are they saying on television, but what's actually really going on? And I feel that if we look at the chaos and say, okay, what's driving these behaviors? What's driving people's uh, gullibility with the media and all this other stuff? It's basically because they're they're they get in such a state of fear which is a classic brainwashing tactic i used to be a paratrooper in the 82nd airborne division so i'm very hip to how it all how it all goes down and i've mm-hmm. studied it extensively and have an entire course on it so for me it's easy i look out and go okay here's the show again here's the game but most people just get into this fear state and they collapse into the state of chaos but they don't realize that if they would actually do what jung calls holding the tension of the opposites and just mm-hmm, sit with it, mm-hmm. or as the alchemists say, cook in it for a while instead of trying to medicate it. Then I think the chaos would would be quite revealing for us all. Yeah, yeah, no, that I've I've written a lot about
0: that exactly that point because when you're saying there's all this chaos in the external world, that's only half of it. The other half is then wh- how do, what? How does that touch in us? And so many people they turn the blind eye, they disassociate from their inner experience but if you just presence what's actually invoked inside of us as that chaos in the seeming or that evil in the seeming external world is happening and you don't split like that holding the the tension of the opposites i just love that phrase because the symbol for me is the cross is the crucifix yes christ was really hanging in there you know that's so symbolic of of creatively holding the tension of the opposites and the point of that symbol is that if you make a premature decision and you repress one of the opposites to identify with the other and you're making that premature decision to get away from the pain well then you're going to create disease and you'll get symptoms but if you hold that tension of the opposite and like the alchemists say you cook in it and it's a it's a passion it's a, an agonia it's agonizing yet out of that Comes, it, Jung calls it the transcendent function or the reconciling symbol. And in another yes. words, out you know, out of that emerges something that you, as an ego, as an intellect, couldn't have created by yourself. And and that's the in a way that's the higher dimensional solution, the higher order solution. And that's and we're all in that. Particularly, think about what's happening now in the world with the enormous um, polarization and the insanity, and the evil that's playing out, and, you know, everybody is, you know, there's all this stress, and depression, and despair, and pessimism, and yet, any one of us, if we can just be present with our own experience in that, we're actually helping the whole field if we're adding consciousness to what's happening in us.
2: Yes. You you know, I have two questions for you, uh, one is a bit off topic, but I was waiting for a chance to ask you, but sure. I got so excited about what you were saying. So what has been your profession for your life oh okay
0: well i I never know how to answer that. I mean you know the best way I can describe it I'm either like this wounded healer or I'm a creative person, and i've been fortunate in that i've been able to make a living just being those things and so for um let's see now. Over 25 years, I, I haven't had to have a job other than just be myself and, you know, um, I have a whole community that's formed around me and it's all based, so I have all these groups all throughout the week, you know, I have one tonight and the next night and the night after that and, you know, it's all, we all become friends, there are people in the groups for 25 years and it's all people who are awakening to the dreamlike nature and we're discovering that we can hang out together in a way and just inquire into the nature of our present moment experience together, in a way that deepens our awakening. And so um, that's what I've been doing. And also, you know, I'm in private practice. Um, I, I'm not a therapist, like I'm not a Jungian analyst. I don't have any certification, and and yet so many of my clients are a therapist.
3: Are course. these Jungian
0: therapists? <laughs> you know cuz they really because i'm just in touch i've developed a real relationship with my unconscious and with my inner guide i mean my inner yeah. guide i don't i don't even though i'm the author of my books i don't really write the books i just get the 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 downloads from you know the muse from the daimon and and so i'm very i've cultivated this incredibly intimate relationship with that being who lives in me? Who is me? And is also transcending myself. And it continually—I'm just an employee. Once I get those downloads, and and then I'm just the instrument for it to incarnate its wisdom into the 3D world. And I've been fortunate in that since I've been doing this in the early 90s, you know, I haven't had to do anything else. So in a way, that's my profession. And I just one other thing—I've I've learned that the best way for me to to manifest to, to be. To, you know, to be of help for people is, the, you know, to the extent that I'm just myself, that I'm not like posing as somebody or performing or trying to be professional in this or that way or stepping into this image, but just like being me and just tripping out on the nature of reality, which is what I do all the time in my own mind and with my friends, that people really feel inspired when they meet somebody and they get a sense, oh, wow, this is somebody who's just really being who they are because that's the deep that's the individuation process that we're all thirsting to actualize who we actually are not other people's ideas of who we are
2: yeah which is a real disease in not only our culture but many cultures and you know i live that way i built the entire institute that way but what you're calling the daemon or the muse I call my soul. Uh, how would you distinguish the two between yeah, soul no, and daemon?
0: Yeah, no, no. Um, you know, the, the, the daemon, the genius, the soul, um, it's the inner spirit, the, the guiding spirit, the inner voice. There are all Higher these, self. Higher self. There's infinite names. And when you have a, a phenomenon like that, where there's like a multitude of names, that is always a good indication that there's something of the sacred. That you're pointing at, because any one name can't capture it, because it's it's multi-textured and multifaceted and practically infinite. And so, what you're calling the soul, what I call the diamond, or my inner guidance, or you know the inner guru, or whatever—that in essence, that's when I work with people. That's what I really try to um, connect them with, because we all have that, but we've been conditioned to not notice it. And, yes. and then we've been conditioned to conflate the the monkey mind that's just this neurotic hamster wheel spinning all these these neuroses moment by moment. We conflate, we can't differentiate that from when that when our soul is talking, when we're getting a download. And so what I really try to get across to people is there's a different frequency, there's a different signature between that monkey mind and the, the daimon or the, the soul. And when you, you know, really um, are able to differentiate the energetic signature of those two entities, when you're getting that download, you pay attention. And you you listen. And and so often when I write my books, you know, I always write in the morning when I'm brushing my teeth, you know, quite often I'll be getting downloads from, and it'll be telling me what I'm going to write about this morning, how I'm going to write about it. And I've learned to just at that point, I'm just a servant. I'm just an employee, and the boss is giving me the, you know, the dictation for what what that what that day's work is going to be, you know.
2: People don't realize it's such a much less stressful way to live. You know, in in Zen or Taoism, this would be called no mind. Yeah, you yeah, know,
0: yeah, absolutely.
2: I, and and I refer to my soul. I don't know if you're familiar with the Persian term kidra k h i j r a. Absolutely. So I, 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 that's my name for my soul. I always say, "All right, Kidra, what are we supposed to write about?" Or when I'm doing a healing session on somebody, I just empty and ask my soul, "Please connect me to the Kidra of so and so," and I just let that person's soul guide me. And you know, it, uh, I've been teaching this to my students for years, and I. It's interesting you you use the word sig- energy signature because that's exactly the word I use when I'm teaching. I say. It's absolutely essential to begin working with your soul on things that are non-consequential, that are of no threat to the ego, such as what color socks should I wear today? What pants should I wear today? What food should I eat today? Because if you start trying to work and access your soul with things that the ego has an investment in, the ego quickly learns to impersonate the soul and the next thing you know, I've had students coming to me say, "Well, my soul told me to eat a whole bag of Oreo cookies." And I'm like, "I got right, news for right. you. That's not your soul won't tell you to do anything destructive to yourself." Right, right. Well, you're pointing at something Paul
0: really profound because in my work on on the Watiko, the mind virus, um, you know, I'm I didn't make this. I'm I didn't make this up. This I'm just a translator. This is an indigenous term, but it's not just the Native Americans. Who use this term? It's in every wisdom spiritual tradition throughout history. They're pointing at what the native people call Watiko. And in the apocryphal text of the Bible, they're precisely describing Watiko. They call it the counterfeiting spirit. And and very interesting, it got written out of the Bible. And I point out in one of my books that it was Watiko that edited out the description of Watiko from the bible because it doesn't want to be exposed because right when you, see it, when you see it it takes away you know you take away its power it's power but it's a counterfeiting spirit and here's how it works so in other words the Watiko spirit has no creativity at all but it's a master impersonator so yes. it will impersonate you it will put you on put you on having a double meaning like a suit of clothes And it will put you on, meaning to fool you. So it will offer you this version of yourself that's a limited version, a fictitious identity. And if you're not awake in that moment, so say it'll present to you, oh, I'm traumatized, I'm wounded, I'm not creative, you know, I'm a victim of abuse and I'm not healed. And if you're not awake in that moment, just like putting on a suit of clothes, you will unconsciously identify with that identity that Watiko is presenting to you. And then as soon as you do, by the power of your creativity, you're going to attract all the evidence that you need in the waking dream to confirm that that is who you are. And that becomes a feedback loop that self-generates whose origin is your own psyche. And then Watiko, you become an instrument for Watiko uh you're the instrument for it to then act itself out and embody itself and incarnate itself in the world. And so w- what you were just describing, yeah, it is a complete deceiving, counterfeiting spirit. And I think that's, that's it's a really helpful, because we all experience that. I experience that every day when I catch that part of myself. And more and more, I'm able to be like, wait a second, that's not who I am. And yes. I, step, I step out of that.
2: Me yeah. too. And it takes real, uh, you really have to be present with yourself. And I tell my students when you ask your soul to choose the color of clothes you're wearing or things that you have no attachment to, you got to pay very close attention to where the answers are coming from and the feeling of that answer and get very familiar with that energy signature and then watch what happens when. You know, say you're married and some hot chick wants to have sex with you and you ask your soul and you get a yes or you know you shouldn't be eating certain foods because they make you feel lousy but you're potentially addicted to them and you ask can i have more cookies if you get a yes you will notice that the signature of that is very different than the signature that authentically comes from the soul
0: right and it's like it's like when we have this this like parasite in us or um tapeworm. When we have a tapeworm in us, the tapeworm will secrete chemicals in us such that we then crave certain foods and we'll eat those foods. And we're thinking we're feeding ourselves, but we're actually feeding the tapeworm and it grows bigger and bigger. And we're, we're the host until it kills the host, which is us, but it doesn't want to kill us too soon, or then it would suffer the inconvenience of having to find this new host. So what I just described, that's really a way of describing the Watiko parasite, because it actually, you know, gets into our, into our mind. And it's not even external from us. I mean, there might be a trauma, an external trauma that happens that opens up the doorway for it to come in us, but it actually in potential, it's it exists in the collective unconscious. I mean, we all have Watiko in potential. And you know, so to think that oh, that person has whatiko and we don't, well, that point of view is is proof that you're under the spell of whatiko, you know, because it feeds off of polarization, and um, yeah. So what I'm describing, you see, the thing about whatiko, this mind virus, this is um, at the root of all of the madness and all of the evil that's playing out, and it only has power over us to the extent it's not seen, and but as soon as we see it, as soon as we see how it operates out in the world, because it's an inner disease of the soul that actually has this superhero magical power of somehow explicating itself via the medium of the outside world. And that's amazing. So if you just think about that for a moment, it's an inner disease of the soul or the psyche that actually somehow can, is able to configure events in the outer world to actually reveal and express itself. And what that means is that the way to see Watiko is when you actually recognize the correlation between what's happening in the seemingly outer world and within your own mind, that the two are reflecting each other. And that's to recognize the dreamlike nature, because a dream is a reflection of your mind.
2: Yes. You know, I, I'm gonna sort of take a, a slant here and see what your response to it is. Mm-hmm. because i believe that the source of all that exists is unconditional love or god in all caps or a zero force and because consciousness cannot exist without polarity what you're describing as i would describe as a necessary polarity to the good or to the positive to keep it kind of scientific and that We have these two forces, and and historically they're referred to as the light and the dark, but that we need to have polarity in order to have freedom. And we're here as souls learning to use the powers of consciousness to create. One of the things that in my studies I've identified is that because the body has a built-in instinctual negative bias because in nature there are things like snakes and other things that'll kill us so we have this um, instinctual negative bias and i think that the negative bias projects itself through the psyche and so people don't realize that they're often orienting them their thoughts and their creative powers toward what they're afraid of more than what they really want and therefore i think what happens is we end up polarizing ourselves toward the negative of possibilities more so than we do to the possibility itself, which I think actually produces a lot of the um, experiences that we label as evil without realizing that we're just not mature enough yet to see or understand how the psyche works and how the body works, but that when we realize that we can look at these two polarities which requires that we become conscious of these two polarities. And then we can look for the possibilities instead of running from the fear or making investments or getting married because somebody has a lot of money and it'll make our life easier. And and these types of things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying is so right on in um, the sense how I would say it. The first part of what you said is that the thing about Watiko is that so here it is, the source of the most incredible evil that we're playing out. And if it didn't exist, we would have to invent it. It's so important. It's a catalyst. It's the greatest catalyst for the evolution of our species. Because part of, like you were saying, you know, we, we have to have the opportunity to have choice, to have true freedom. There has to be a choice where we could choose either the dark or the light and um so the thing and the thing about what which is so amazing is that it doesn't even exist it has no intrinsic <laughs> it has no intrinsic independent existence whatsoever separate from our own mind and what that's pointing at so here's something that doesn't even exist can kill us what what what, right. is, that? what is that pointing at and it's pointing at the incredible unconscious power that we have to the extent that we don't know it like i've been saying it gets turned against us. But when you actually, you know, in the encounter with Watiko, it's demanding that we make use of our spiritual inheritance, that we actually connect with our divine creative power, or it's going to kill us.
2: Yeah, I tell my students, look, if God is unconditional love, then the only way you can symbolize that in a rational construct is mathematically a zero force. And because God is a zero force, everything in existence has has to, by definition, be a virtual reality, which the Vedic scholars and sages and mystics called, as you know, Maya, the grand illusion. But, you know, one of my mentors who I study, and he's not a living mentor because he's dead, but that's Arthur M. Young. And Mm -hmm. he... He beautifully says, you have to understand, people that think Maya is just an illusion don't get it. He says Maya is the illusion. Yeah, well, it's the source
0: of the highest creativity. That's the other meaning of the word.
2: Yeah, so my, my point, though, is that you can't have this experience that we call life without these polarities, and even though it's Maya, it's the only way that no thing can become everything is to basically create a virtual reality which requires the marriage of the light and the dark and so really i i feel that our evolution spiritually is to learn a couple of things one use the polarities to weave the dream that you want and be fully invested in that consciously and two to realize that if you aren't conscious then you know uh, there's a set of universal principles by a guy named arnold patton he says if you don't like what's happening in your life look carefully at what you're choosing unconsciously and i i really think that that's where we're all at right now we have to look very carefully at what we're choosing unconsciously and i think our culture is going through a rite of passage right now where they have got to step into their adult shoes and take responsibility for their choices, which are the products of their thoughts, which are the products of the belief systems, most of which were programmed into them as children. Yeah, totally. And you see,
0: it just, as you were saying that, Paul, it just made me think about that creative power that we have, because to the extent we're not plugged into it consciously like i've been saying it gets turned against us and and that then feeds those unconscious habitual patterns and or addictions which actually become self-destructive where we're we're, we're actually colluding with our own self-destruction because we're not familiar and fluent with our creative nature so if i could just give an example which you know i think can really help people to real to even more deeply understand what i'm what i'm continually circumambulating and pointing at so you know in the imagination we can use the imagination to understand um what's actually what what reality is and so in our imagination just imagine you're in a dream and in a dream say you're holding a viewpoint whatever the viewpoint is well the dream which is nothing other than a reflection or a projection of the mind of your viewpoint if you're holding whatever viewpoint the dream just has no choice but to reflect back that viewpoint. But then if you're not awake to that, you're in a dream. Now you have all the evidence confirming the seeming objectivity of your viewpoint. So then you become even more fixed in that the way you're seeing is true and is objective and is separate from you. And the more you hold that viewpoint, being that it's a dream, that's nothing other than your mind. The dream has no choice but to offer you, but to prove and continually offer you evidence so as to confirm The seemingly objective truth of your viewpoint, which makes you more fixed in your viewpoint ad infinitum, and that's a feedback loop that's self-generating whose source is your own mind. And just take a look at what's just happened. You've actually entranced yourself. You've hypnotized yourself by your own mind's creative genius for calling forth reality. Now, that's the mind virus. That's exactly what I'm pointing at, that when you actually see that, you discover. And here's where quantum physics comes in. Because you know my recent book on quantum physics that you were just talking about, the whole point is that um, quantum physics came into the world a century or so ago, and it proved that the universe that the classical physicists were studying, i.e., an objective universe, didn't exist. Yes, it's a nonsensical idea. In other words, that um, the the pre quantum physicists thought that they were just passive observers observing this objective world and trying to understand how it worked. Quantum physics then empirically proved that's a nonsensical idea. There's no such thing as an objective world because the act of observing this universe actually influences the universe observed. What that means is mind-blowing. That's where the psychedelic comes in. Because when you recognize that, that the act of observing actually influences the universe you're observing, what you realize is that the act of observation is creative, that we are participating in invoking our experience of the universe. And and that's exactly what I'm pointing at. And quantum physics has proven that. And another way of articulating this is that quantum physics has actually proven empirically beyond the slightest shadow of a doubt that we are collectively having a shared dream. Now, the typical physicists aren't trained to interpret it that way. They their mind is blown. The the rug is pulled out from under them. They're trying to understand what are the revelations showing us from quantum physics. And here's me. I'm not a physicist at all, but I'm in touch with the dreaming. And I'm saying, well, if you look at it this way, what quantum physics is revealing to us, it's both expressing the dreamlike nature. It's pointing at the dreamlike nature. It's revealing the dreamlike nature all at the same time. And when you see that, that's when you have lucidity and by understanding that, it unlocks the most unimaginable creative power. So the all, you know, quantum physics has already changed the history of this world with all the technologies. That's the low-hanging fruit. That's less than 1% of how it's going to change things in our universe because the the great impact of it is going to be in our minds, on the way we think. On expanding our consciousness. And so what I'm pointing at now, quantum physics actually emerged into the world 100 years ago and into our minds. And I've written and I've spoken extensively about it's a hidden treasure. It, It totally is similar to in Tibetan Buddhism, they'll talk about some lineages propagate themselves and keep themselves fresh by these hidden treasures that are conceived of as being hidden in the fabric of the universe being discovered right when they're needed to bring the community of practitioners back to themselves when they get one-sided. Well, we have gotten so off balance through the scientific materialistic point of view that we literally have dreamed up quantum physics into the world, into our minds. It's as an alarm clock to wake us up to, hello, there's nothing objective out there. It's actually your own consciousness that you then are becoming conditioned by. We have put ourselves under a spell. That's the madness. That's the absolute deep fundamental madness that our species is suffering from that if we don't decode that, we're fated to destroy ourselves. And my whole work is just trying to like, transmit this to people, say, hey, look, when any one of us gets this and we actually connect with other people who are also having the realization that's when we can really change the waking dream. And that's evolutionary. And that's what this is all about. And that's what's being offered to us. And in a sense, that's what my whole life's
2: work is about. That's my life's work to the T for the same reasons. And that's, I think, one of the reasons I am I get so excited when I listen to your stuff, because I feel like I'm hanging out with uh, someone who has had similar experiences of the depth of consciousness that i have because i'm like yep i've been there i know that Mm -hmm. you know i'm also a a practicing medicine men and spirit guide and have conducted over 400 healing ceremonies with Mm -hmm. plant medicines so Mm -hmm. i've been i've been deep down the rabbit hole many many times and one of the things you learn when you start getting into higher doses of psychedelic medicines is if you don't have management of your mind you're going to get to experience that Dark dream that you have hiding under the covers very thoroughly. Totally. Hello, everybody. How are you? How have you been doing this year? I'm asking these questions in all seriousness. When I ask them of people nowadays, they may say they're fine or they're getting by or maybe a better than most. But none of them say I'm thriving. I know it's no surprise to you, you listen to my podcast, so you know all about what's going on in the world right now. Many of you have had careers derailed, struggled with your relationships, or felt the bite of money problems, but I'm not talking to you now to get wrapped up in all the challenges we're facing. I'm speaking to you right now just to say, getting by isn't enough, and you don't have to settle for that. It's time for all of us to thrive, and we can do it. If you're skeptical, this month I'm going to show you how. For the entire month of April, you'll find a ton of special videos, Instagram live sessions, and two solo podcasts I've recorded, all focused on providing you with the tools and motivation to thrive personally and professionally, even under the toughest of times. I had a great time recording these podcasts. They're on important topics that I haven't spoken about before, and I really want to give you a preview, but I'm keeping it secret for now. I think you're going to love them though. To cap the month off, you'll be able to get some real nutrition to thrive during our special three-day registration event on April 30th through May the 2nd. For those three days, you can register for any of the Czech Institute advanced training programs at incredible prices. That's all of my advanced programs too, including my Functional Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1 course that has launched many careers in the field of holistic health, and optimization, and it's also the course I produced for the public so that anyone could get themselves healthy, vital, and thrive. If you're done with just getting by, if you're ready to make use of your boundless potential and be the best version of yourself personally and professionally, then here's my suggestion go to chekinstitute.com forward slash thrive. You can do that now. You'll find our full schedule of events, and you'll find out how you can get A head start on registering for the Czech Advanced Training Program of your choice at our special Thrive rates. That's chekinstitute.com forward slash thrive. Let's grow together. Come join us. I'm excited to share with all of you. Did you know that Symbiotica means harmony? And you're really likely to enjoy my podcast with Cherveen Jofferya, the founder of Symbiotica. Symbiotica is an amazing company that makes excellent products to aid healing, enhance longevity, and improve performance at all levels of your being, from your spiritual practices to your athletic endeavors. I highly recommend you go to symbiotica.com and check out their top-notch organically sourced products that include excellent tasting supplements like their Synergy Vitamin B12, which elevates energy naturally, to their J Minerals, which help you better regulate your hormonal system. Their biocharge-activated coconut charcoal is an excellent detox support and removes toxins and poisons from the body quickly and non-invasively. Their organic longevity formula is one of my friends and students' favorites. They rave about it. I really enjoy their Regenesis Liposomal Glutathione for its amazing antioxidant powers, which is really helpful for anyone that enjoys vaporizing tobacco and herbs like I do. They also have great immune support products, water filtration options for drinking and showering, and some cool clothing and more. When you go to com and use your Living4D discount code, which is capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 on checkout, you get 15% off anything they sell and you won't be disappointed. Enjoy Symbiotica. A few things came up for me. You know, one of the things that Arthur M. Young says in relationship to Maya. He gives this example. He says, if you come over to a friend's house and they're in the middle of a movie and you sit down, you're not going to be able to follow the plot. You don't know what's really going on. You can guess, but you're not going to be nearly as good at guessing as the people that have been watching the movie from the beginning because they can follow the plot. And I think why this is important is one, the movie is an illusion itself. Too, we all know that movies can evoke powerful emotional responses. They can make you angry. They can make you cry. They can make people throw their television out the window. They can make people hate the actor, even though they don't realize he's just or she's just acting. But I think one of the deeper teachings that Arthur Young's trying to pass on to us is that if you understand that the nature of the existence that we're in is Maya if you say okay what's the plot unfolding like right now with with covid and all the everything going on if we say okay what's the plot once we realize what the plot is it's just like being in a dream if you can say okay i'm dreaming and i can recognize that i'm dreaming now i can get engaged in the plot so if i'm running from a dragon i can either decide that the dragon doesn't exist or i can turn around and face the dragon and talk to it and say why are you chasing me but the difference is is when you're unconscious then you're shall we say a victim of the dream and you're unconscious of the plot but if you can become a witness to the uh dream identify the plot and say now i have the power to be a co-creator if we can apply that to what's going on right now yeah I what, think we, we have a, an opportunity
0: yeah what you're saying Paul is so right on and um, you know what it brings up in me is say any one of us we go to sleep tonight we have a dream we have we have lucidity we recognize we're dreaming and then all of a sudden we're not just playing the victim to the dream but you know we actually are you know we're in touch with that we're dreaming and all aspects of the dream and characters in the dream are aspects of ourselves but that's only one person. What about if if any one of us in, in this collective dream that we're having, that's waking life, when we have that lucidity in this dream, yeah, it's gonna help our lives and it'll alleviate our suffering and, and you know, it just helps in so many ways. But then there are close to eight billion other other human beings and and we're still there's such an inertia and this like solid seeming solidity and heaviness around, you know, all the insanity and evil that's playing out. But then, you know, I imagine, I find myself imagining um, what if, as more and more of us in the waking dream, if we actually stabilize our lucidity in the waking dream and connect with each other, you know, and, and one way to understand this is in a night dream, through the imagination, when I have lucidity in a dream, and then I, you know, if I connect with other of my dream characters in the dream and who I'm recognizing are parts of myself and and if if they become lucid and then we actually hang out together in the night dream and we're contemplating what we're realizing i.e. that the universe we're inhabiting that we're all dreaming it up moment by moment that it's not objective that it's actually a function of of us of our state of consciousness And that as we awaken, we can dream up a dream that's more in alignment with who we're discovering ourselves to be, which is that we're not separate, but that we're interdependent and interconnected. And so then translate what I just described in the night dream, then imagine that into the waking dream as more and more of us, you see, in the same way that the what he called mind virus is contagious, in that same way, this realization is contagious. And when we hang out with other people who are also awakening, it it more deepens our awakening and it helps us to stabilize our realization and then we realize it's not a competitive sport who's more awake but if i help you awake awaken more it helps me because we're not separate so it's the whole new paradigm of seeing through the illusion of the separate self and just simply having the recognition of who we are and that's the medicine for watiko because watiko is is it's actually um the real bottom line of the mind virus is that we've gotten identified with a fictitious identity and then we protect and defend it and invest all of our energy in identifying with it and protecting and defending this identity pattern that's not even who we are at all. And that's utter madness. So the idea of what you were pointing out, it's like activating me to say, yeah, this is what's available to us as more and more of us step into that realization, connect with each other. And what I call conspire to co-inspire each other, it's a true conspiracy theory that we can actually dream ourselves awake, and that's not New Age woo woo. That's actually a real possibility, and that's quantum physics, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely.
2: You know, a um, couple of things y- you mentioned, like you know, there's seven billion on on the planet, and how do we, you know, make this shift? And and I've meditated on that, and I've actually spoken to some various experts that have knowledge in this area. And one of the one of the things that my soul guided me to was all the studies showing how random event generators are influenced by things like 9-11, the death of Princess Diana, and many, many other things. And so what it clearly shows is whenever we're emotionally oriented toward a single event, it will actually affect a random event generator with very, very massive statistical uh, evidence that it's far beyond random chance right like in the billions plus to one and so one of the analogies i give my students is is this i say do you realize that the same 60 watt light bulb that's above your head right now if put put into a coherent wave would produce a laser strong enough to cut through 6 inches of steel which is scientific fact the same energy same photons moving in a coherent wave will actually cut through six inches of steel now for them that's kind of radical but it's scientific fact so my point is when i've spoken to experts and even people like fred allen wolf talk about this but what i've found is that from my research that it only will take one million of us to become awake and coherent in our dreaming process to create a big enough shift to move seven billion people into a much more awakened state that's that's the one thing that i've found that gives me hope because when you look at the research on structure stages of consciousness and ken wilbur says 70 percent of the world population is at the traditional stage of conscious development which is fundamentalism which is as you know highly charged it's the cause of most wars it's it's a low level of consciousness but if we can actually get one million of us to understand the principles that you share in your books and and quantum revolution uh, revelation is 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 just a, a mind-boggling expose of this stuff i think that's what we really have to do i think it's we have to get enough of us to shift the state of vibration on the whole planet cool. and I think that's where we gotta go
0: yeah so i'm I'm right with you, and you know that's the hundredth monkey phenomena in the the Bible they talk about hundred and forty four thousand, you know, which is symbolic of like when there is enough um a critical mass, it affects the whole, and I absolutely agree, so yeah, it doesn't have to be all seven or eight billion of us. it could just be you know whatever percentage, whatever that is, and so 100% agree with that. And I want to point out that a temporally, when we step out of outside of time, that's already happened and that what's happening now in, in third dimension is in a sense, the medium through which that realization is actualizing itself. You know, yes. so, and, and that's a trip. That's really so psychoactive. Um, because you see, the big danger is for any of us to get um, caught in pessimism and despair and depression. I mean, there's so much darkness, and it's very seductive and convincing. And um,
2: that just reinforces the negative dream.
0: Yeah. Once we get, um, you know, really identified with that pessimistic point of view by our immense creative power, we're then going to attract all the evidence we need to confirm the seeming objective truth of our pessimism in, you know, there's that mind created feedback loop in which we entrance ourselves. And then we're actually part of the problem. We're not part of the solution. So, but, but on the other hand, for anybody to be over-optimistic and be like, oh no, God's going to take care of us and blah, blah. I mean, well, that's
2: just childish.
0: Yeah. That's naive. And then they're also, they're not helping and they're actually, you know, a part of the problem too the idea is is to be is to have this sober perspective and to realize yeah we're passing through in a way the eye of the needle and this is very dangerous but there's also like for example and i think this is would be really important for people to to just contemplate quantum physics you know which is considered to be if people don't don't realize the greatest discovery ever in all of history In the realm of science that there's no debate about okay the whole controversy is what does it mean and you know here i'm coming uh, out and saying yeah it's meaning that this is a dream and you know that's i i mean i stand by that 100 but what quantum physics is pointing at is so interesting because if you think about it quantum physics was trying to understand the microstructure the building blocks of this reality right and the more it went down into the substructure of the physical world, the more <laughs> that matter just disappeared, and all that was left was consciousness. But then they there were these elementary particles, these quantum entities. But they didn't exist; they only existed in the state of potentiality. In any, yes. in every state they could ever possibly exist in, they existed in that state of open-ended potentiality up until the moment they were observed. At the moment they were observed, they All of those possibilities just vaporized and in one of them actualized. And that was the one that that manifested in our reality. And all the other possibilities just disappeared into a parallel world as if they never existed. And every moment that process is happening again and again. But what that means is so mind blowing because even if one of those possibilities is highly ridiculously unlikely. Quantum physics is saying, oh, that could be the universe that manifests this very next moment, okay? So that being said, what if like, the possibility of humanity actually awakening and having that 144,000 or 1 million or whatever the symbolic, the critical mass number is, what if that's this moment that that happens and humanity actually awakens so that we avert the catastrophes that we're creating? Quantum physics is saying that's a very real possibility, and I would then add, and if we're not envisioning that, if we're not, you know, really sort of seeing that as a possibility and investing in that, then what are we thinking?
2: Yes, and you know, just to to add to what you're saying, because I've probably got at least two hundred books on quantum physics. I've been studying it for a very long time, for the same reasons that you have now. One of the things, if you study a a lot of quantum physics and a lot of quantum physicists, you find out something very interesting. The particles that they found were particles that they actually believed were going to be there because of their previous mathematical calculations and dreaming, having studied three of Richard Feynman's biographies and Wheeler's biographies and many others. What you find consistently is they would say things well, this particle must be there, this muon, this boson, Higgs boson, whatever, and then they find them. So what, what I see as very interesting, a lot of the times what they're finding is quantum particles are things that they've already imagined.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly right. And Albert Einstein himself was saying, yeah, the theory determines what they find. You know, yes. and and it's so the, the, the way they set up the experiment the questions they ask the way they interpret the data all of that determines their findings and you know here's a beautiful example in a real nutshell to understand um just the total trippiness of quantum physics so um this one quantum physicist he tells a story that he was at a party and they were playing the game of uh 20 questions and, you know, so he was sent out of the room, and that game, uh, you know, people decide on a word, and then he has to ask these questions, and they either have to answer either, you know, yes or no. And then at a certain point, he has to guess what the word is. And so he went out of the room, and all of his friends decided, well, what about if we don't decide on a word at all? But yet, every answer we give to his questions, the one thing, it has to be consistent with every previous answer. Okay. So he comes back in the room and he, you know, he'll ask something like, well, is it bigger than a bread box? And they would say, you know, either yes or no or whatever. And then each question they were taking a little bit longer to answer. And there were like a little bit of laughter. And then at a certain point he made the guess. He says, is the word cloud? And everybody, they just broke up in laughter and they explained to him that, well, they didn't decide on a word, but at the moment that he guessed the word cloud, he, they, he created that that was the word. And so he, he brings up this example saying that's like quantum physics, that that word cloud didn't exist in the universe, in that room, in their mind, before the moment that he guessed it. and But he makes the point that it's not just like he actually created it. Because the whole universe was actually conspiring in that game of 20 questions. So people who think, oh, if I'm lucid, I can just create this. Or, you know, no, you're only one of the dreamers. The whole universe right. is co dreaming yes. with you.
2: Yes, and that's, well, that goes right back to Buddha's concept of codependent origination, for exactly. one. right. You know, and two. Yeah, and codependent
0: origination. That's a, that in Buddhism. I talk about that in my quantum book. That's so profound. That maps on exactly to the to the gnosis that's emerging from quantum physics.
2: I remember once uh, I had a a girlfriend who was quite steeped in Eastern mysticism, and yet she still had some polarization of of you know who were the bad people and who were the good people. And I said, how could you believe in Vedic philosophies and Eastern philosophies of God, yet believe that there's good people or or bad people and people that aren't, you know, as much God as anybody else? And so she started to give me a rationalization. I'm gonna and so I, I want to share with you and the listeners what I said to her. I said, if there's a good analogy for God, it's a mirror. So my question for you is does the mirror refuse anybody? She said no. Mm. And at that moment, she had an awakening experience. She said, oh, my God, Paul. You know, she at that time was about 46. She said, all my life, I've believed there was people that God didn't accept. And it's only now that when I realized that God is a mirror reflecting itself back to itself, and the mirror will not reject anybody ever, that I realize the flaw in my own thinking.
0: Well, the thing about the mirror, you know, like I was saying, you know, Christ Himself says in the apocryphal texts, "The mirror am I," you know, to those that know me, and and it's also a symbol in in Tibetan Buddhism of the self of the true nature. And the thing about the mirror, which is so interesting, is that in and of itself, it's invisible; it's empty, and it doesn't have yes. a form. It's yes. only when something, when an object comes before it, and and a reflection happens that um, you begin to, if you have your focus in a certain way, if you don't get entranced by the reflections, you can really recognize the the underlying mirror. Um, And the thing about the mirror, how come it's a a symbol of the true nature, is because, you know, think about it. You can put, like, the ugliest, most vile object in front of the mirror, and the mirror just effortlessly reflects it, but it's not um, tainted, or
2: no, sullied,
0: or nor attached. I, yeah, or nor attached exactly. And it always just stays the same, and it just effortless, effortlessly reflects. It just embraces whatever is put before it. And and but it, it, you know the word mirror, etymologically, interestingly enough, it has to do with the holder of the shadow. So isn't it interesting that so on one hand, a mirror is a symbol of the self. And the deeper meaning of the mirror is the holder of the shadow. And I would connect those dots in the following way and say, yeah, us actually embracing and being conscious of and owning our own shadow, not just personal shadow, but also the archetypal shadow, you know, seeing, yeah, that's, you know, that's not, maybe that's not to be owned in a personal way, but we all interface with that, that the way, so in being, you know, adding consciousness, and, be, and connecting with the darker parts of ourselves is the way to the true nature. That would be the way I would interpret that.
2: Yeah, I, I love it. And also, I remind my students, I say, how many of you have seen a mirror like in a bathroom where someone's punched or broken a mirror? And everybody has. I say, well, what, what's behind the clear glass? A black surface. It's reflective, but it's black. Therefore, you can't have the light that you see that makes your image in the mirror without the black reflective surface behind it. And there you see the necessity of the dark and the light to work together to create the illusion of the experience that we're having. Because if God is unconditional, there is no condition. So the only way that there can be a condition is to create the illusion of darkness and light as an interplay with which is how a movie projection works it's just basically what david bohm described as the hollow movement
0: yep no totally and the kabbalah as you were talking i was i was thinking yeah the kabbalah it talks about that the true light always that it comes out of darkness yes and um you know and that's very much in the whole like the gnosticism the the you know in 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 the, the Gnostic Wisdom and in alchemy. They'll talk about that it's by sort of being in relationship to the darkness in a certain way that the true light, the higher dimensional light, comes out. And and I'm, you know, I mean that's all highfalutin and philosophical and sounding theoretical, but you know, how come I'm talking about it is that I'm talking out of my own personal experience. Cause if I go back to your beginning question, yeah, I had this whole awakening. Well, the awakening happened out of the most intense pain and suffering and trauma and darkness. And, but there was a way, so I could have just disassociated from that and become really neurotic. And, you know, I just would have been in deep trouble, but because I was able to, in a sense, in a way, go through the darkness and, con, you know, add consciousness to that darkness. And, you know, this brings up the archetype of the, of the healer who's wounded of, of the shaman yes. the, the the wounded healer that it's instead of avoiding the wound or just compartmentalizing it or in a sense trying to heal it so that you get rid of it. No, it's it's a portal. It's an initiatory ordeal. And if you go through it, you know, like the shaman descending into the darkness of the underworld, you know, if you don't get stuck in that, you actually then are gifted. And you have these incredible gifts to share with people. And I, if you remember, when you asked me, what is my profession? And I said, oh, wounded healer and a creative person. It's because of that. I'm still, you know, I, I'm i so in touch with the depth of my woundedness, but I don't identify with it. On the contrary, I carry it as sort of this portal that continually just connects me with my creative gifts. And um Yeah, and I think that this is an archetype, the wounded healer shaman archetype, because think about what a shaman does. A shaman, they will literally take on the illness of the person they're working with because their boundaries are so permeable. And by taking on, it actually means they'll take it within themselves and they'll have it out with it, that illness, that darkness. And the shaman then becomes ill themselves, but they don't stay sick. They're able to find their way back to their connection to the self and and to their wholeness. And by doing that, because they're not separate from the person they're working with in a non-local way, that wholeness and that healing will get transmitted and help the other person for, you know, for, um, for actually for them to heal. And the point is, we're all in that role of potential shamans. That's one of the primary archetypes that's activated in the collective unconscious. And when you realize that, it can contextualize what we're all going through because it's so easy just to personalize our suffering and our struggles and to then pathologize ourselves. But what if exactly what we're going through and the suffering and the struggles that we're having, what if we're just iterations and reflections of the deeper process in the macrocosm? You know, And that can really, seeing it in that way, helps us to just not pathologize ourselves and to connect us with that part of us that is a potential shaman or wounded healer. And you know, it just can really help us in that way when we see that that sort of like meta process that we're all involved in.
2: Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I um I had a, a very intense childhood, uh, which I've talked about on podcasts before, but just to sort of bring the point home that I'm sharing here, my father was uh, abusive to my mother, left her early when I was about three. Then my dad drowned when I was eight. And my stepfather was extremely violent and abusive, which led to my brother committing suicide. And we all lived through some extremely traumatic experiences in the house that led to hospitalizations and, uh, you know, and suicide. And mm, there, wow. there there was a point in my life where I, I was just so in so much pain, I asked my soul, why if God is God and God is unconditional love, why am I having to go through all this pain? And my soul told me, You chose to go through go through the pain that you're going through so you could have authentic empathy and compassion for the people you came to help. If you did not have the experiences that you've had, you would never really truly understand what people are going through, nor would you know how to help them.
0: Yeah, that's true. And that's the archetype of the wounded healer, because the wounded healer, instead of when they meet somebody who's in pain, so many people just try to fix them or give them advice. And that's based on their own self-absorption, because, oh, if only this person wouldn't feel pain, then I wouldn't be, be reminded of my own pain. Exactly. And, you know, but a wounded healer is somebody who's so familiar, intimately familiar with their own wound and their own pain that when they meet somebody who's in their pain or wound, they're very comfortable in just presencing it with them and just being with them without the need to change them or to transform them or to enlighten them. They can just be there with them And they can just see them in both their light, in their Buddha nature, and in their pain, in their darkness. And so often, I think, just when we see each other in that way, and we're just present with each other, and this has to do with the mirror, just accepting who the person is, exactly where they're at in their process, that that itself is such a transmit, you know, this transmission that is so helpful and healing for the other person.
2: Yes. One of the things that has come up as I was listening to you and I took a note on it, uh, I've just been waiting for a chance to share it with you because I think you'll probably get a chuckle out of it. You know, I've been studying tarot and practicing it daily for many years now, and I followed the Egyptian system because uh, I really thought it was the best system I've ever found for learning the tarot, which I learned about in the Law of One series by Raw Book Four. And it took me a year and a half to go through their their the system they outlined for the Egyptian priests, which really helped me a lot. And one of the things that's very unique is, is oftentimes whenever I'm taking people into a healing ceremony, I will always have them do a tarot draw because I found it a very accurate way to get information I need about what I'm going to have to manage them with when the unconscious starts bubbling up into the conscious and so I'll point out, I'll I'll show them the card, and I'll and I've done this countless times with people. I'll say, "Look at the card and tell me what you see," and ask answer this question: Are these people really stuck and under the control of the devil? And of probably over a hundred people, only two have ever observed it. If you look at the Tarot 15 in the Rider-Waite deck, it shows two people chained to a door with this devil crouching over top of them, and they're. it appears as though they're stuck. But what most people don't notice is that there is no latch, nor is there a door handle on the door. And I say, look, that door is not locked. It doesn't even have hinges. That's an illusion. All you've got to do is pull the door over and walk out of there. If you have to just drag the door behind you and go find a saw and cut the chains off. But the reality of it is that the tarot 15 is showing you that you are stuck in an illusion that you're generating. And it's you that's staying in that room with the devil because you're not focusing on the opportunity that's in front of you. And I think if a lot of us woke up to the fact that the majority of the you know, stuff that people ascribe to evil that's happening in our personal lives, our professional lives, our collective lives is an illusion that we're buying into. But the door is always open. If we simply change our perspective and manage ourselves in a way that are congruent with a dream that offers us more freedom, then we have the ability to be free.
0: Yeah, well, what you're saying is so interesting, Paul, because, you know, and it, it, it's so great that we're getting to this sort of at the close of our talk. Because on the one hand, we're imprisoned, but we're imprisoned by the powers of our, our own mind. But we don't, so many people don't even know they're imprisoned. They think they're free. And so part of freeing them is first giving them the realization that they're actually imprisoned. But the next, <laughs> yeah. but the next part is, is exactly what you were saying is like, imagine being in imprisoned and the gates aren't even locked and you can just walk out, but you've been so conditioned to, you know, like this learned helplessness or powerlessness, or just to assume this is like the normal state of affair and we can't change anything that we've become so accustomed to our imprisonment. That we're colluding with it and we're actually, you know, we're investing the bars of the prison with all this power over us when they're they're not even there, exactly like you were saying. They're an illusion. And that that realization, you know, in spiritual practice, I mean, that's really one of the key things, is that, oh, all this time we've been trying to be enlightened and awake and free and all these things. And yet, you know, the real gnosis is that that we already are free. It was why I was saying before atemporally, we've already woken up. And, mm-hmm. and the idea is, is to recognize that, and then to just not forget, to not get distracted, to stabilize that realization. And then when you stabilize that realization, everything that happens gets integrated into that vision. And, and so even the seeming like negative things, instead of obscuring that vision, actually stimulate it and strengthen it and and it's it's you know um being able to do that that's when we really um can be called an accomplished spiritual practitioner and of course i'm i'm you know i'm not i'm just like all of us i'm just you know i feel like i'm a beginner i'm just like you know i have a little insight into this like i see my teachers and they've so integrated this and they just so embody it and you know all the time where, yeah, I'm, you know, like all of us, I'm a work in progress and, you know, and but I find that for me to articulate this, to talk about this, to think about it, to creatively express it helps deepen my
2: my understanding of it. Absolutely. I'm 100% in agreement with you. And while you were talking there, it reminded me, I, I spent about five years studying Osho's teachings. I bought the entire Osho library and I have uh, about Four five hundred hours of the lectures he gave his students on audio cassette, and in one of his lectures, he talks about when he lived in India. There was a town near him that was a small town that went bankrupt, and they had a maximum security prison there. And the town uh, leaders got together and were trying to figure out what are we going to do with these prisoners because we cannot afford to feed them, and we can't even afford to keep the prison functioning. And they realized that every single person in there had been in jail for over 20 years. So they collectively agreed, let's just let them go. There's nothing else we can do with them. So Osho talks about how they let them go. But the next day, the prison warden and the staff came to kind of finish cleaning up and closing the prison. And almost every single one of the prisoners had not only come back, but they found them with their ankle and wrist shackles back on. And so they started asking the prisoners, why are you here? And why did you reshackle yourselves? And the most common answer they got was, I can't sleep without these. I've been with them for 20 years and I I can't sleep without them. And the other common answer they got was, I don't know what to do out there. I don't know how to live out there. I don't know what to do with myself. And it's a great encapsulation of how when people get so caught into the drama and the shadows of life, it really gets to be like Plato's cave where they need help to get out. You can't just open the door because they don't know how to handle the freedom. Right, right, exactly, totally. Yeah. Well, we only have five minutes left, and and I want to honor your need for time because I'm a busy guy like you, and I know how important it is. Uh, what would you like to share from the quantum revelation or whatever rises up in you i mean if you have a message for the world you can encapsulate no what's what's the offering that you can give in the few minutes that you have i
0: appreciate that opportunity so so i just want people to consider you know um in when i had my awakening in 1981 i was immediately thrown in mental hospitals and and you know and then over that next couple of years, a little bit under two years, I was probably four or five times I was hospitalized, always diagnosed as, oh, you're bipolar, you have this mental illness, you have this chemical imbalance, you're going to have this illness for the rest of your life, you're going to have to be on medication till your dying breath. Like from the psychiatrist's point of view, if I would have agreed to that, um, they would consider that, oh, that's another successful treatment. And just, yeah. you know, what's wrong with that picture? It would have killed me.
2: I was going to say, you'd be dead by now. Yeah,
0: I, I, absolutely. And, you know, what got me through was it was so obvious and couldn't have been made more clear to me inside my own mind that I was having realization and that I was waking up to the dreamlike nature. And that's what saved me. Whenever I was getting the reflection of that I was mentally ill, I just thought I was giving them a diagnosis. I was going, "Oh, they're just, they're just stupid," you know, <laughs> and, uh, oh, really the stupid <laughs> diagnosis. But that saved me. And um, so I'm, I'm sharing this, you know, with this in this last phase, just because, to hopefully, maybe inspire people. Because in other words, I just stayed with my own experience, and um, that I'm my own sort of like proof of you know if people say no you really are mentally ill or and i'm like well okay you can say that but here i've helping people all over the world i've created a whole body of work that you know uh, whatever it's it's just
2: caught my attention
0: <laughs> yeah 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 so the the point is hopefully cuz i think that a lot of people get inspiration from you know me having gone through my own personal process in a way where i've been you know helping myself to heal and then in finding my work and connecting with my diamond or my soul or my creative spirit you know that I've actually um, you know I I'm here you know we're all here to serve the greater whole and um, that that I I'm hoping can really inspire all of us because so many of us have gone through our struggles and problems and I think of one of my teachers who just recently said to me, he goes, yeah, in Tibet, all these great enlightened beings, they didn't become enlightened because things were going great. No, there were really intense challenges and struggles, and that catalyzed them to have realization. And so I'm saying that because I think we all have, everybody I work with has an unbelievable story, an ordeal that we've gone through, be it in our family or whatever, and there's a way of holding that where that becomes an initiation and a portal to deepen our connection with who we actually are. And um, and hopefully, I'm really, um, you know, in my life, I think, really more and more embodying that in a way that I think could hopefully... Um, really inspire people to do the same. Because like I've been saying, we're all these wounded healers in training. We're all shamans in training. We all are these amazing, like these geniuses, these creative geniuses. That's our nature. And we have this unbelievable superhero power. And particularly when any one of us steps into it, that helps all of us, particularly then when we connect with other people who are having realization, that's where we can really change, change the world. And so I guess that would be, those would be my last, um, my last thought. So thank you.
2: Well, I think that's a beautiful way to close. And it's, it's very, very true in my own life experience and I'm very grateful for your process and what you share your books uh, with Tico and, uh, Quantum Revela- Revelation have been very useful in my own work and, and inner explorations. And when I read Quantum Revelation, I just thought, this is one of the most important books I've ever read. And I really felt I had to get more people to be aware of it. In fact, I gave it to, I think, all of my instructors and many of our staff members and podcast staff as a gift. Oh, wow. Uh, because it, s- s- uh, excuse me i have that said a sneeze there but uh paul thank you very much where can people find more about you your work i know your books are available on amazon is there any uh places you'd like to direct them for more of your genius
0: sure um so i have a website um awaken in And when you go to awakeninthedream.com, there's just a ton of articles and interviews. It's all for free. It's not monetized at all. The only part that's monetized, you know, you can buy autographed copies of my book and I'll send it to you. Or, you know, I'm in, you know, I do sessions. I'm in private practice. You know, I'm happy to do that. And um, so that would really be the way um, to connect with me further. And then when you go to my website, you can email me through the website. And, um, yeah, so that would be really the way.
2: Thank you. Excellent. I also noticed you had some interviews with Jeffrey Mishlov on the new thinking aloud. So that might be a place for people to get some more juice from you too, eh?
0: Yeah, totally. Jeffrey Mishlov. And just, um, you know, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm actually turning down interviews. There are so many people who want to interview me, but, um, you know, yeah. So at the new thinking aloud, and there's like so many other interesting interviews that are on you know, the site and and you know, I'll be putting the our interview Paul on the site too.
2: Thank you. Yeah. It was a good one. Thank you so much. I will let you go so you can go continue your amazing writing and nourishing all of us with your deep inner realizations. And uh I'm just grateful that you're doing what you're doing and that your path is such a beautiful offering to the rest of us. So Paul, thank you very much. Well, Paul,
0: thank you. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Oh, great spirit. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for buying things from our sponsors. It helps me keep the podcast running and gives me a little support so I can keep doing the research and finding amazing people like Paul for all all of us to get educated by.
1: So lots of love, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Paul Levy. Paul's latest book, The Quantum Revelation, A Radical Synthesis of Science and Spirituality, is now available from Amazon.com or get an autographed copy direct from his website at www.awakeninthedream.com. Paul is also gifting Living 4D listeners with a complimentary copy of his ebook, Awakened by Darkness, When Evil Becomes Your Father. Just visit the show notes page for this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast and click on the link to download your copy. You can follow Paul on Facebook at paul.levy.9619 or connect with him via email paul at awakeninthedream.com. Follow Paul on Instagram at paul.check or on Twitter at paulcheck or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4 D with paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to check videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chikiva.com.